Marty just told me that uh, Connie and Larry Lovell will be here the month of March, the entire month of March. Um, we'll get word out in the email, but you might think about inviting them over, catching up with them. Uh, the Lovells will be here in the month of March. So think about inviting them over. They'd love to have a home-cooked meal and hang out and get a chance to meet. We'll get that information out to you through an email this week. We are in week two of this short series that we are doing here on work. Uh, recall that when I use the word work through this series, um, it's directly related to the biblical word for calling and this word vo vocation. I'll probably go back and forth between saying vocation and work. But really remember, it's, it's including both our employment, but it's including all of our roles, mothers, fathers, neighbors. All those things are all part of this word as we talk about um, work and vocation. This week, uh, we're looking, we saw the, the good picture last week. Today is the hard picture. Um, we're looking at the impact of sin on our work. And as such, our vocations are filled with joys and successes, um, but they're also filled with difficulty and pitfalls and lots of questions as we navigate our different vocations that we have and our changing vocations as those things um, change. One person navigating her vocations is Rebecca Russin. So I'm going to have Rebecca come up, and I'm going to ask her a few questions and put her on the spot here. So I'm putting you right in the middle, too. So Rebecca, start out. Uh, what was your first job? Um, my first official job was I was a treat maker at Dairy Queen. Um, so Dilly Bars, Buster Bars, that was me. <laughs> so you can always fall back on that one. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. So second one, you worked at Raytheon. And uh, so talk about a little bit about how you, were, you felt like you were able to use your gifts to image God in that place. And then um, what, how did sin impact that? What were the difficulties with that as well? Yeah. Um, so I'm a mechanical engineer by education. And um, a couple of roles that I played at Raytheon, um, the first one was I think typically we think of engineers as designing products. Um, but I was a process engineer or a manufacturing engineer, which means my job was to make uh, the manufacturer of guidance systems, specifically um, faster, cheaper, less defects, that kind of a thing. And um, I think my strengths um, lie in people management. Um, and it, as you can imagine, you can design the perfect process, but we put imperfect people in all of these different pieces. And I think one of the things that God um, really helped me understand is that um, I can really help the engineering process by helping people. So if I had an operator who was ha had a sick grandson, um, I would just meet, I would just ask that woman every day what was happening um, with her grandson, and it just helped lighten her load and move her forward. Um, and I was able to talk um, with people that I trained about the importance of people, too. And I think that's um, just part of the God-given vision of people as um, being created in the image of God and valuing them. Um, I think the second thing that I think is totally from God that I see is um, most of my job was um, taking chaos and making it work. So um, I ended up at Raytheon working as a supplier engineer, and what Raytheon would do was just give me whatever supplier was tanking at the moment. And then it was my job to bring that supplier back into compliance with like time or quality, whatever they were struggling with, that was my job. Um, and it was really stressful, but also really rewarding to come alongside a team of people 
Um, I certainly never did any of that stuff by myself, but to come alongside a group of people, empower them, and try and figure out what we can do to, to make things better. And um, that was really rewarding and um, gave me a lot of sense of accomplishment um, and I think is, is God-honoring to just bring order out of chaos. Um, but like Chris said, of course, sin impacts everything. Um, we have a group of people working on a manufacturing floor. Every single one of those person brings woundings and sinful behaviors. I <laughs> bring that with me when I come onto the manufacturing floor. And um, working with people is more often difficult than it is um, wonderful. And so <laughs> I, think, I think everybody is made in the image of God, but having that perspective is really hard when you're working with somebody who um, is not, may, may not be aware of that or even believe that is true about themselves. Um, or B, my own selfishness is creeping in, and my own sense of how valuable I am is dependent on that operator doing what they need to be doing. And it's something that I see as not being that difficult. And um, So I think it's, it was really easy for me at work because everything for me was metrics-driven, right? Like, so if you think of whether or not a supplier is on time or meeting their quality requirements, those are all measurable things. So it was really clear to me and to everybody who worked for me and everybody that I worked for whether or not I was um, being successful in my job. Um, and that's uh, totally, um, when you think about sort of God's idea of um, an upside down kingdom, right? It's to like It was really a hard thing because my sense, what I was getting from work is if I was meeting all these requirements, then I was doing a good job. And what, what the Bible says is true is that I have value because of who God made me to be, and then out of that springs work. And those are two things that clash constantly with my job, and I think, I think most jobs. And although I would say I knew in my head um, what, which one of those was the right perspective, I think my heart um, betrayed that I was most often living in the, um, in the more God, or in the more um, earth, driven kingdom than I was the spiritual kingdom. Rebecca. Um, so third next question, you, you left Raytheon when the vocation of motherhood came along. Yes. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that transition, challenges for there, what you've learned in that. Yeah, um, so like I just said, I think, um, I think when God took away, I don't say that God took away, I chose to be at home. But when all of the things that I had, that I had, I'd, I think my heart was betrayed when I quit working at Raytheon. All the things that I knew in my head, it became incredibly clear that that wasn't in my heart. Um, I was, I lost all of the metrics that, that I used to declare that I was valuable or that I was worth, um, worthwhile of being a part of the team or whatever. I lost all of that. I didn't have any stay-at-home mom friends because I was a working I was a working woman, so how would I know anybody in that community? I lost all my friends. Um, I lost I my um, my son. My firstborn son is seven right now, but his first six or seven months of life were just terrible. Like, if you think of like maybe the three major things that moms are supposed to do, it's like feed their children, change them, and make them sleep. Right, like. It's not a, like a crazy thing, but Samuel never slept, and he didn't learn to nurse until he was about seven months old. 
Um, and so I went from being in an environment um, where I was successful and people looked up to me and I had things going forward and people had ex expectations. And then, you know, like overnight, um, I was failing at absolutely everything. I had no friends. You know, my son, I couldn't even feed him. Um, it was devastating in every single way possible because what was happening in my heart was that I actually did believe that my value came um, from what I could give to other people rather than that God gave me value and then that should motivate what I do. Um, it was devastating. It was in every way. So, <laughs> Danny's nodding. So for you guys, where are you at now in terms of vocations, shifting times, what, looks, what things look ahead? What is God inviting you to right now, do you think? Um, I think one of the things that I, um, that I learned at that time was that I often presented to God this view of if, if, I, if my faith looks something like this, right? I have an, a problem, but that problem doesn't really hurt me because I have this promise in Scripture and I don't need to think about how hard it is. I need to just be, I need to just believe this and present to God a great picture of where I'm at because I have faith, right? And I think there are good things about that, but I really was denying the devastation that I felt inside. Um, and so that, that has been a journey of lamenting. Um, lamenting not only the, the things that I believed that were wrong, um, that, that hurt the people around me and hurt my own children, um, but also just lamenting all of the energy spent that wasn't for God's kingdom. And um, now, um, now I'm looking at sort of a reverse transition. <laughs> um, my youngest is going to start kindergarten um, in the fall, which will leave me kind of, I don't know where it leads me. Um, so I'm looking into this next transition, um, but I'm hoping um, and praying that God will lead wherever my vocation goes next, um, but that it will, but remembering that God has given me value no matter where I end up. Yeah. Well, thank you for Rebecca, for taking hold of her life long ago, and for the things that you've taught her, even when they've come through hard things. Um, pray for her in this next season, for insight and discernment, um, to be able to image and display your kingdom in the different places you put her and for all of us as we manage those places lord that we would find you in it and that even when we struggle with it that um thank you that you are faithful in doing your work in jesus name amen thanks rebecca thank you thank you for sharing a little review from last week, uh, if you recall, we talked about callings, um, and there was two callings. There's a primary calling, and that's the calling to be God's children, is what we looked at last week, that our calling in Christ supersedes all of the other things that we're called to, all of our other vocations, all of our other callings. And then there is what we are calling the secondary calling, which is all the uh, places and roles that we presently find ourselves in. So even if you're in a spot that you're thinking, I don't really want to be here forever, at the moment, this is your calling. This is where God has placed you, and he wants you to be present there. So includes our employment as well as our roles as husbands or neighbors, students, whatever that may be. Second of all, we saw that our God is a working God. 
Right from the beginning of Genesis, God comes in and God is the one who's actually working. He's not sitting back saying, you guys work for me. He comes in and demonstrates work from the beginning. Third, we saw that we were created for work. That was our intended purpose. We are people that, are, that God created us to have relationship and to make an impact in our world. And so we're created for work. We take the raw materials that God has created, and then we kind of do what he just did. We cultivate those raw materials that he makes, and he's asked us to continue the work that he already started. Again, remember when I use the word work or vocations, I'm referring to both our employment and also our secondary callings. And then lastly, we sought the words for cultivate, serve, and worship are all interrelated. They're all coming from the same root. And so our work is worship. Our work is worship. And even by what we look at this morning as the impact of sin on it, it does not change that. Our work, our vocations, our places are all called to be places of worship. As I said, today we're going to look at the impact of sin on our work and our vocations. Um, it's likely that as I laid out this beautiful picture of the garden last week and how awesome work is and what God's, you're thinking, that's not how it is, right? We all were thinking that. That's not how it is, and that's actually true. Um, you know, when I, uh, um, work, I worked uh, during seminary, I got a job. Uh, it was a one-day job with um, Bergstadt Furniture Refinishing. They needed a crew of guys to oil and clean a bunch of doors in the Bank of America Tower in Los Angeles. So it was one day, um, went and got work for the day, and that job actually turned into a job I had for three years during seminary. Um, I was able to work part-time during school, and then whenever there was vacations or summer, I'd work full-time. I ended up becoming uh, Mr. Bergstadt's uh, foreman, and there's lots of good things. Work has some delights to it. Um, it was flexible, so I got to adjust my schedule whenever I needed to. I got to hire guys from the seminary that I knew, even though they weren't very good workers. Um, they just seemed to like want to talk about Greek and theology the whole time, and I'm like, we got work to do. You know, it's, more, it's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, it was a good job. We got to know uh, Mr. Bergstadt. His wife was a believer. He was not real well, and we spent a lot of time with him. But the work, like all of our work, was also marked by the fallenness of our world and the brokenness in our world. Um, Mr. Bergstadt was highly demanding. Um, I had an exam or something I had to go to, and he would push for me just to skip it all the time. Um, and he didn't demand things in a very kind way. Um, he, he was a little bit rough around the edges. He hated seminary. He thought I was completely wasting my time and would constantly tell me that. Um, I heard words I have never heard before. And I think he made some of them up. I'm sure he did. Um, he was uh, way, way inappropriately, overly friendly with women. So we'd go to restaurants with the waitress or the, the, the women in the offices that we went to, and I remember just feeling so uncomfortable. I just did not want to be associated with it. I remember I, had, uh, I was in a, a lawyer's office, um, working on this desk that was worth like $10,000, and I had this alcohol stain, which is like permanent, and I bumped it, and it spilled over on the carpet in this lawyer's office. I thought he was going to murder me. Um, he was so mad. Um, they could hear him yelling at me down the hallway in this office building. I'm like, oh. Um, we had a, I was driving this big, huge uh, van. Um, it's like a 15-passenger-sized van. It was his work van. Had no windows in the side, no seats in the back. All the equipment is back there. And... Um, it was probably illegal back then. I know it's illegal now, but we had just the paint buckets all over the place. Everybody sit in the paint buckets. And I'm flying down um, Highway 5 in Los Angeles, way on the left-hand side. And uh, all these guys are, all these seminary guys are sitting on the buckets talking. 
and one of the tires just exploded. And I remember the van, we went all the way across four lanes of highway, Interstate 5 in Los Angeles during, I don't know how we didn't hit anybody, and, and pulled over on the side, and these guys just went flying all over the place. We were even on the news because we held up the traffic. It was, uh... <laughs> and I had to listen to Frank Sinatra music all the time. That's all he ever listened to. Um, his work is sometimes marked by sin. So, we saw last week, what happened? We saw the picture God painted last week. What, what happened? Adam and Eve were told to enjoy everything, all this stuff. Remember, the first thing he gets to tell them to do is eat, which is a great, what a great command to get from God. But they're not to eat from that one tree. And every single day, was as that tree was there and the opportunity to, to disobey was there, it was an opportunity for them to depend and trust and submit to God every single day to make your relationship to God primary. But as Mary read this morning from Genesis 1 and 2, they chose to disobey. They chose to be autonomous from God's design, and the results were absolutely disastrous. And we read about them this morning already. First of all, sin spread. Rather than the garden being cultivated and, and starting to cover the earth, the garden is held in one spot, and sin actually spreads um, over the earth instead. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. It tainted everything. The colors were dimmed. Everything was dimmed. It just covered everything. The second thing is they hide from God who calls them. They hide from the God who calls them. What's a tragic verse, isn't it? This God who desires and loves them and is out there seeking them and they're, they're hiding from him. It's not like God didn't know where they were, um, but he wanted them to respond. He wanted them to say, here we are, here we are. Instead, they hid. And ever since, people like us created, uh, creating our own callings rather than heeding the call of God to us and to open our hearts and lives to him, and instead we seek fulfillment elsewhere and we hide from his calling all the time. Third, their vocations were damaged. As I said, they were created for relationship and impact, relationships and work, and both of those things are damaged by the fall. They have a broken relationship with God. They're out of touch with their own hearts. If you know the passage, they start blaming each other, so they don't even pay attention to the sin in their own hearts. Their relationship with each other is broken, and rather than stewarding um, in a, in a God-ordained relationship, there's conflict between the husband and wife. They're wrestling for control. There's pain in childbirth and by implication in parenting. And there's pain in the work of cultivating. So all the things that they're created to flourish in suddenly become difficult and troublesome, painful. And as they were supposed to work and produce and just the production from their work was supposed to just flourish. Instead, it just it drags. It's hard to make things happen. And then it tells us that their work is now characterized by four things. One, it told us that their work is characterized by toil. Uh, God tells Abraham he's got to toil. Toiling instead of delighting. Anybody that has a garden or likes their garden, it's delight. And now this place that was supposed to be a delight becomes a place of toil. Toil is to work until you are weary. Have you ever been at a job and you thought, 
is this ever going to end? Felt that way? I have a, this little stainless steel piece. Um, I worked after I had resigned from a church in the San Francisco Bay Area. I went for work at Micropump, making these little pumps. And I, I worked this big CNC machine that was programmed that would mill these little pieces. So my job was I'd take 24 of them, I'd put them on this little thing, and line them all up there, put them in the machine, and press go, and it would start drilling all these things. It takes about 45 minutes. And while that was going, I would take the rack that just came out, and I was supposed to clean them up in the solvent, get all the little burrs off, and then they all had to be measured to the very precise numbers to make sure that they all would pass inspection. I'd get that done after half an hour, and then I'd wait, the next one would come out, and I would just do that all day long. This gal named Shirley, I remember her name, um, she came in the shift after me, and she would, I would leave my shift, and there was nothing for her to do. There would be a thing inside the machine, and there'd be nothing, everything's taken care of. She could hang around for half an hour until the first one came out, and then she would do her shift. I would come in every morning, and there would be like seven of these trays stacked up, because she would just run the machine and never do anything with them. So I'd come in the morning, and I'm, I'm Mr. Hyper. I got to have everything done perfect. So I'm racing through the whole day trying to get all these caught up while doing mine at the same time and I would end the day all ready for it. It would happen every single day. I remember I talked to her supervisor who happened to be her best friend <laughs> and her and they would either say oh well or it is what it is. That's the only answers I ever got from them. And I remember thinking this is never going to end but it did because I eventually quit after two years. So. <laughs> Went back to church work, it was way easier. So. <laughs> it's marked by toil, to toil. Toil does not bring delight. It wears us down. Second of all, it was going to be marked by weeds. Uh, the, they're the symbol of there's hindrances to our fruitfulness. Rather than being fruitful, there's all this opposition that comes along and that, that squelches it, it prevents it, that makes it hard to see those things happen. Our productivity gets stunted. Third, it's going to be marked by sweat. The idea here is that as we go at these various vocations and work, our vitality is drained. God intended for our work to, to fill us up, to, to be like God, to enjoy the creative process of taking the stuff that he's created and doing something with it to make something happen. And it's supposed to bring delight, and now it's, it's sapping their vitality. And lastly, it said that Adam, his work is going to be characterized by death. There's futility in it. There's this futility that's just not going to pay off, and it's all going to end at some point. So this horrible, horrible chapter, Genesis 3, of all this beauty that God's created and what we're designed for is, uh, is wrecked by sin. And what does that look like in our fallen world today? Well, I have three things here kind of coming from what we just shared there. First one, it's marked by difficulty. Our, our work, even our vocations, our parenting, our different roles are often marked by difficulty now. The thorns and thistles go up, and what happens is there's, it's fruitless. It becomes fruitless. That's a sad word, isn't it? Fruitless. And uh, the difficulty of our work makes our work fruitless. And that leads to the second thing that work looks like in a fallen world. It's discouraging. Or maybe you could write down the word pointless at times. Sometimes it feels pointless. Um, Ecclesiastes 2.17, the, the writer of that book talks about it. It's just, there's no purpose to this. Where is it taking us? In our jobs, our parenting, 
Sometimes we try to help somebody and it's not received. Sometimes there's a, we do lots of work, like, like Beck was sharing, you can kind of measure it, but sometimes we do all this work and there's nothing to show for it. There's, there's no tangible evidence of having got it done. We can't see its impact. And we can't see the impact of what we're doing, it gets discouraging. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, for instance, a man would, a person was a craftsman, for instance, maybe, maybe rocking chairs. And they would do it from start to finish. They would build this whole rocking chair and present it, and it's done, and sell it. After the Industrial Revolution, when they get these lines going, a, a person would make one piece of that. And they never see the end of the line to see the impact of what they've created. And actually, the suicide rate just went skyrocketed because people felt like it was pointless what they were doing. I'm going to guess that we've all been in a place, in a role or in a job, where it's been difficult, and sometimes it just feels pointless, and it gets discouraging. And lastly, what does it look like in a fallen world? Everything's distorted. And what happens is uh, we become selfish, and work becomes about me, and the roles become about me and what it gets to me. Genesis 11, it's interesting, when they're building the Tower of Babel, it says that they wanted to make a name for themselves. So they go to work making a name for themselves. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what God created it for. And it shows up in lots of ways in our life. We can become workaholics. We can go the opposite, and we can just become lazy. We find our identity only in our work or in a certain role. We, as we talked about last week, we create this sacred, secular divide of some things are sacred and everything else is over here. It's distorted. And then our work either becomes, um, it can become an idol or it can become a taskmaster over us. We feel enslaved to it. So what does it look like in a fallen world? Difficult or fruitless, discouraging and pointless, and distorted, and that becomes selfish and self-focused. Anybody know that experience? And we know it not just in our jobs. We know it in some of the, the best roles God gives us for. We experience some of those things. By the way, that shows up even if you're a pastor. No vocation is left untouched by the mark of sin. So even as a pastor, I can become self-serving, tempted towards feelings of self-importance. For sure, my identity gets caught up in the job. There's time demands mostly placed on them by myself. Um, ungodly responses to interruptions, as um, Mike and I both know, as people flow into the offices looking for help, sometimes rather than going, yes, here's an opportunity, it's like, lock the door, you know? Um, what a terrible thing to do. People rejecting good counsel, at least I think so. <laughs> There's a lack of tangible outcomes often, so it's really hard to measure. I spent the last few days, I took off, and I would just work in my Jeep, fixing up stuff, and it's like I could see it getting done. It's so much fun, but it's not like that in every job. Criticism, I, comparison, I can compare myself to other pastors, other churches, and it infiltrates and affects my heart. Isolation, families often suffer. It's interesting, among pastors, one of the greatest temptations is to laziness, because nobody's watching them. And so they get overwhelmed, so they just become lazy. I read recently that almost 60% of pastors polled said their role was overwhelming and crushing. So it impacts all of us, doesn't it? It doesn't matter where we find ourselves. The place we live in today is impacted by 
the choices that Adam and Eve made in that very beginning as it has infiltrated into all of our lives. That's a happy sermon, isn't it? <laughs> it's reality, isn't it? It's, just, it's, it's where we live today, and it, it touches us every single week. But don't lose heart. Uh, next week, specifically, we're looking at work redeemed in Christ. And this table reminds us of it every single week. Sin and the curse do not rule his children anymore. They do not. And redemption is designed to rule over our lives, and we can actually see God infiltrating all of our vocations and bringing life again to them if we let him do it. That's the great promise that he does, and that's part of the work of the cross on our behalf. As believers, God's mandate still remains, has not changed. We're still stewards of God's good gifts, and work is still meant to mirror God and to reflect his image and to serve our neighbor. That has not changed. And he has filled us with the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. Second of all, work is not the curse. As you move through your week, you're going to find yourself in difficult places of work and roles. Don't lament the calling. Lament the, the impact of sin on that calling that God has brought you to. It's a different thing to look at. Lament the impact of sin on a God, because God laments over that as well, by the way. When you are wrestling through those difficulties, God laments over the impact of sin in those places. But the callings are good callings, and so that hasn't changed. And then third, the curse might actually be a blessing. Perhaps the hardness and brokenness of our work is meant to do what? Drive us to Jesus. It's meant to drive us there. When those things are difficult and overwhelming, when we're not measuring up, when our efforts and our different vocations are coming up fruitless and we feel like we're not doing it, when work is just plain hard, it's a chance to be driven not to independence from him, but to be more dependent. To turn us from people who are hiding, to turn us into people who are seeking. Each of the hard moments this week are going to be, if we can think about it, are fresh opportunities to gaze on him again. Every single time those come, they can be opportunities for us to set our minds and our gaze upon him. And to turn from hiding to be people who are seeking him. Cameron, you can bring the music team up. We have the table here and uh, the gluten-free one over on the side there and the table in the back are here every single week because each through the week we get beset by difficulty, there's discouragement, there's distortion, and it, it invades our own hearts and minds so often, and we come back over and over again, remembering what Jesus did, remembering who he's made us to be, remembering his call in our life, to be realigned afresh to him so that we can go back out and our world gets shaped a little different because we've been shaped differently by the work he does in us. As we've considered the impact of sin in our work, we cannot, can't forget the completely corrupting impact it had on our souls. We were born into sin, and we found ourselves hiding from God. And the table reminds us that the Lord came seeking us and calling us and doing the work to restore us back to himself. He came and he offered himself on the cross to rescue and to redeem, to fill us with living water so that we can know him and flourish again as his beloved children. The table is for believers, so if you know Jesus this morning, that's the only 
requirement. We come up, we break off the bread, remembering he offered his body freely on the cross. We dip it in the cup, remembering his blood shed, and we do it giving thanks. Let's pray with me. Lord, every time we, we look at those second and third chapters of the third chapter of Genesis, I'm just always a little overwhelmed. I'm wondering what your heart felt when all that happened. I can only begin to imagine the devastation that Adam and Eve immediately knew when everything just changed. Thank you that you did not abandon us. You did not walk away. You kept calling. And thank you that you came here and took on flesh, that you, out of love for us and out of a desire for us to be related to you again and to see our lives flourish, to be filled with living water and to be new, you came and you took it all the way to the point of death for us. So as we gather around the table, Lord, uh, it's our desire to honor you and to give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.